Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Causey Consulting Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Causey, and I'm also the owner of Causey Consulting, which you can find online anytime at CauseyConsultingLLC.com. Today, I want to talk about results. I listened to a podcast the other day that was recorded by an attorney, and he was talking about how results are really the only thing that matters. And of course, in some respects, he was talking about that from a legal point of view. Your clients hire you as an attorney because they care about the end result. They want to know that you can solve their problem or fix their mess for them. They're not, they don't want to get bogged down in legalese and jargon and file a motion for that and an, an injunction for something else over here. Like they want you to solve the problem. They don't want to become legal experts overnight. They want you to use your expertise to solve their problem. And I agree with that in so many respects, like from my perspective as a consultant, I only choose to work with clients who want me to produce an end result for them. It's okay if they don't know how to get from point A to point B. That's one of the reasons why they're hiring a subject matter expert to do the work for them. Whenever I get on an intake call with someone and I can tell that they're going to start micromanaging and nitpicking, or they're not clear about what they want. And they're, they're thinking that I can be a magician to just conjure something out of thin air. I, I just walk away from it. It's not worth it to me to get in, in the middle of that. I have enough experience doing what I do that for me to try to boil that down and pour it into somebody else, it would take a very long time. And I'd rather just do the work myself, frankly. But the attorney in the podcast also extends his same theories out to like politicians and talking heads in the news media. And he used an analogy that I really liked of the weatherman that's always wrong. It's like from news cycle to news cycle, from election to election, you know, like uh, these talking heads in the media will make these predictions that don't come true, or you'll see people on social media tossing theories around that never bear any fruit. You'll hear politicians promising the things that they're going to do or not do, and none of it ever comes true, but nobody is ever held to account for it. It's like the bad weatherman that makes irrational predictions about the weather, gives bad forecasts that don't come true, but yet he gets to keep his job and people keep tuning in to watch the broadcast, even though they know on some level, surely, that they're being fed lies and misinformation. I want to say something here very clearly. Especially if you are a service-based business provider, you have any type of business where you are going to be working in, in close quarters or in tandem with your clients. There are many people in this world who would rather hear comfortable, pleasant lies than to hear an uncomfortable truth. Even if that truth could lead them to having a better life, a better business, doubling their revenue, they would rather hear the fluffy bullshit than to hear an uncomfortable truth. I'm just going to stop for a second because I really want you to hear me. I have always been picky on both sides of my business, both the consulting work that I do as well as the executive coaching work that I do. I've always been picky about who I took on as a client. I've never had the take all comers, anybody that shows up and says, hey, I, I might be interested, is treated as a viable prospect. No, I've always been picky. But I would say on the coaching side of my business, I have become insanely 
picky. I really only take people on on a case by case basis. And even then, it's a very limited engagement type thing. It's become like, you remember back in the 90s, you know, if you're listening to this broadcast and you weren't alive back then, obviously you don't. But for those of us who were, you know, and had like our teenage and and college age years in that time, you know, back in the 90s when going to a rave was all the thing, you wouldn't know in advance. You'd get some number, you'd have to page some guy and go to a phone booth and then he'd tell you where to go. And it was always like a, a movable party, if you will. I've sort of applied that same concept to my coaching program and how I choose to take on clients. I don't, I don't put out a lot of marketing anymore and I'm not out there like really waving a banner saying, Hey, I'm an executive coach. You should come and and talk with me and see if this makes sense. No, I'm, I'm like the 1990s rave. You got to know a guy who knows a guy and page me at midnight and then I might talk to you, but otherwise no. And that's because I have discovered more than ever how many people would rather hear the uncomfortable, would rather hear the comfortable lies than the uncomfortable truth. And like the old cliche goes, talk is cheap. Being in the coaching space has made me realize that that cliche is a vast understatement. Talk is, is beyond cheap. It's completely worthless. You have to watch what people do and evaluate their actions more so than their words. I can't tell you how many examples, not just for me that I have seen, but other people in the industry, peers in the coaching space, people that say, I'll do anything. You know, I I really want to turn my business around. I know I'm in a sales slump or things were going really, really well. And then COVID hit and I'm trying to pivot. I just don't know how. So you start giving them ideas and brainstorming or saying, well, all right, look, one potential problem is this. Some of them get offended. Some of them get sad, get to get their feelings hurt. And it's hard for them to rebound from hearing an uncomfortable truth. You know, it might be something as simple as, okay, well, the profile picture you have on LinkedIn is a picture of you drunk on vacation with beer bottles everywhere. That's probably not a photo that conveys I'm trustworthy and knowledgeable, you know, or your website looks like your five-year-old child did it. It's got comic sans font all over it and it's really out of date. You should put a little coin down to have your website refreshed by a professional. It's amazing to me how many people can hear something that in my mind doesn't seem to be a personal attack. You're just simply saying, Hey, it's perhaps not conveying a message of trustworthiness to have drunk pictures on your LinkedIn profile or your website looks very homespun, very DIY. It's probably time to kick it up a notch and take things in a stronger direction. And in in their mind, it's like you've stuck a knife in their heart. And the the idea of like doing that refresh is anathema to them. Lest you think I can't put my money where my mouth is. I remember when I was self-employed before, I had DIY'd my website and, and part of that was because I was just trying to save the money to have it done in, in a more professional way. I also did that this time around. I DIY'd the sales copy, I DIY'd the website, and then once I had enough money to have it refreshed, I did it. And I made that a very important priority because you, your website is such important social currency now. Plus, with all this damn censorship that's going on with big tech and social media, as I keep telling you guys, and I keep consistently be, being proven right on this point, since Censorship's the wave of the future. It's not going to go anywhere for quite a while. You need to have a website. 
so that people can find you like not on Facebook, not on LinkedIn, not on Twitter. And it needs to look professional. It needs to look smart and slick like you give a damn about it. And I had also had a professional photographer take a headshot of me. And I, I didn't want this like, um, you know, stuffy Olin Mills, you know, type. I went to a portrait studio. Again, if you'll allow me a slight diversion, unless you think I'm joking about that or using some kind of hyperbole, I had a job a few years ago where the owner made me go to a portrait studio in a strip mall and and get in front of a super cheese background and like cock my head to the side, you know, and it was it was so surreal. The the whole strip mall and the photo studio and all of it was like uh getting into a time capsule and going back to like I'm going to say maybe, I'm going to say maybe 89 or 90. It's like I had gone back to my younger years. It's like people still do this. So I was adamant, like, no, when I'm going to go out on my own, I'm not going to have like some cheesy Olin Mills portrait studio crap. So I had a professional photographer come out and take my picture and, you know, had some, some, you know, airbrushing of fine lines and whatever that I didn't want in the picture. I'm telling you this to, to really say it was professionally done. So I go to um, a business advisor and as we're looking at the website, of course he says, Hey, it, it looks very DIY. That's not professional. I conceded that point to him because it was DIY. And he said, you know, in the picture, he said, you know, okay, do you, do you want me to give it to you straight or do you want me to kind of sugarcoat it? And I'm like, no, I want you to give it to me straight. I don't have a lot of time and energy for sugarcoating. You can just tell me whatever you're thinking. And he said, this looks like a picture, like it's a nice picture of you in a nice outfit, but it looks like somebody took it with an iPhone. And I was horrified by that because I had paid money for a professional photographer to do it. And, and I, told, I told the advisor that, like I had somebody do this. He had professional camera, professional equipment. It wasn't an iPhone. So I feel really aggravated that you're telling me you're looking at this as an objective viewer and saying it looks like... <laughs> some somebody like you know me and one of my buddies just took this picture of me in a in a nice suit but with an iPhone like I felt like I'd been ripped off but I followed his advice and I went to a, a studio like I found somebody on Thumbtack that was a, a good legit business headshot photographer and everything was very clean it was very crisp it was very modern it didn't come out looking like the 1989 strip mall Photoshop it it was legit. And I was very satisfied with it. And after I had that professional headshot done by a modern professional person, I was really able to see the juxtaposition. And I understood what my advisor had been telling me. Same thing with having my website redone. You know, once I saw how it looked with some stock photography and professional graphics and a good professional layout, I was like, yeah, you know, looking at it, pretending to be an objective person that doesn't know me, has never encountered me before, I can definitely see the difference between everything being homespun and DIY versus having a professional do it and make it look very slick and very polished. So it's not like I hand out advice to people that I'm not willing to follow myself. The other thing is it comes back to the end result. You know, having having the DIY website and the, the photograph that apparently looked like somebody did it with an iPhone, it wasn't getting me the results that I wanted. You know, in, in the business that I have now, when I had the money to have my website upgraded and professionally redone, I mean, I was just... 
I was so happy with the outcome, but I was also happy with the end result, getting more traffic, having compliments given to the site and how easy it is to navigate, how professional it is. Like it's all about the end result. So you can get offended, you can get your feelings hurt and you can be all, all mad and sad that somebody said you shouldn't have a picture of yourself intoxicated on your LinkedIn profile, you know, or you can care about the end result. I remember I had a manager who once gave me a really good piece of advice. Like I had, had been working for a company with a high degree of micromanagement. And it was to the point where people's, it wasn't just the creativity that was being stifled. It was like the, the profitability was also being stifled. Like people, people were under the thumb so much that it was like smothering. And I remember telling this manager about that and he, he looked kind of thoughtful and he said, you know, there are some people in life that care more about control than money. And he's 100% correct. There are some people that care more about being right also. It's like how, if you've ever heard Dr. Phil say, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? There are some people who are right fighters. They're going to make damn sure that everything turns into an argument. It can't just be a civil discussion or, you know, com basic conversation about a topic. It has to turn into a debate or an argument. Somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong. And they're going to make damn sure that you're the one that comes out wrong because they have to be right. Those are also people that I do everything in my power to screen out for, for either consulting projects or for executive coaching work. I don't want to bring those people into my practice at all. It's an uphill battle and it makes everyone involved miserable. I think sometimes people associate the idea of results mattering so much with something that's Machiavellian. Succeed by any means necessary. Win by any means necessary. And I just don't think that's true. Having a good outcome, a good result in your business should not be predicated on you doing something that's immoral, illegal, shady, weird, something that you feel gross <clears throat> or unsavory about. I mean, if you're, if you're doing something that you don't feel is right, then you shouldn't be doing it. You know, you have a conscience for a reason. That's not the type of end result that I'm talking about. I saw some advice the other day. I think it was on the daily sales and I want to read it to you because in my opinion, this is the kind of, uh, mm, hopium. So you, you, you could, I've heard some people refer to it as things like optimism porn or hopium. You could definitely call it that. So the quote says you can be grinding for four years with no results. And then on the fifth year become the biggest thing on the planet. The power of never giving up is real. <laughs> you know, I saw that I just put my head in my hands and I'm like, yeah, not every, here's a newsflash for you, you know, inspo quote there, not everybody can afford to grind for four years with no results. A lot of people have mouths to feed. They need to keep a roof over their head. I mean, I guess if you were in a situation like you, you lived in mom and dad's basement and you had literally no bills or your parents were like, hey, you know, we believe in your red hot idea so much that we will let you live in the basement with no expenses. We'll pay everything for you. 
free of charge for four years with no results because on the fifth year you might become the biggest thing on the planet and then you can pay us back like <laughs> you know like you're luckier than i ever was my parents wouldn't have done that <laughs> you know and i think there's a lot of people out there that they they can't just grind for four years with no income you know, there are a lot of great entrepreneurial stories where someone will say i built my business while while I was working, while I was in school, they, they have some other means of supporting themselves other than the business that they're building. You know, that was one of the mistakes that I made in my first iteration. If you caught the episode of uh, the podcast that Michael Free Choose does, where I talked about embracing the splat, well, the splat was me falling off into the Grand Canyon like the Wiley Coyote. I had a parachute. You know, I had saved quite a bit of money, and I also had a, a very good line of credit for my business. But in order for me to become my own staffing agency, essentially, I had to leave the job that I was in. There would just be too much conflict of interest for me to try to do the same thing simultaneously. So I had to feather my nest financially as best as I could, jump off the cliff and then hope the parachute opened. And for me, it didn't. So I went splat like Wiley e. Coyote and it was one hell of a mess. There is no way mentally, physically, financially, spiritually that I could have been grinding on that job for four years with the hope that maybe on year five, my ship would come in. So instead of repeating that same mistake, this time around, I made the decision to not not get into anything to where I would have to just completely rip the Band-Aid off and leave. I wanted to keep my corporate job and slowly, carefully, and surely build up my business. And I spent plenty of time testing and beta testing, working with people who were open to it, either for free or for very low cost, to make sure that my modules were up to snuff, that people felt like they were genuinely helped, that it had a good outcome for them. You know, I put the time and effort in to do the A-B testing and to go back to the drawing board. You know, sometimes I would pretend that I was kind of like Tony Stark in the lab trying to make the Iron Man suits. Like, how can this be faster? How can this be better? How, does this need to look a bit different? You know, okay, this this A test didn't work, but the B test went really well. What was different? I, I put the time in to do that while I still had corporate America paycheck and corporate America benefits. Yes, certainly I had some early mornings and some late nights and some busy weekends to be able to make it all happen, but I felt so much less financial pressure knowing that I could take care of myself and cover my basics and essentially have that, that time when I was off the clock from the corporate job and on my own time, I could have that time for the A-B testing and the experimenting and the development and the trials. And it went, for me, it went so much better than leaping off the cliff and then hoping and praying the parachute would open. So to condense this down, the first thing that I want to impart is results matter. Uh, you may have heard on Shark Tank how Mark Cuban says sales is the ultimate cure-all. The results are the ultimate thing that matters. I'll never forget a, a job that I had where there was a guy that was on the chopping block to get fired. And one of his compatriots spoke up and said, well, he tries so hard. You can't, you can't fire him for not hitting his sales numbers when he's trying so hard. 
And everyone turned around and looked at, at this guy that spoke up and was like, yes, you can. In any sales job, if you are not hitting your numbers, then they typically do try to work with you and counsel you and coach you to some degree. But if it's just not gelling and you're just, if it's not gelling and you're not selling, then you're going to get kicked the hell out the door. I mean, yes, you can fire someone, even though they've got a lot of heart and they've got a lot of try in them. Maybe they're just in the wrong job. Results are the only thing that matters. Second thing I want to tell you is if you are on an intake call, discovery call, whatever your methods are, and it becomes clear to you that this client is going to nitpick your process, they want to micromanage you, they want to get all in your business, or they're, they're like, well, you know, I, I just want to know every single thing that you're doing all day long, cut, cut it loose, cut it loose. Or if, if they appear to be a right fighter, they're going to fight you every step of the way. They're going to turn every conversation that you have with each other into a debate where you're going to be wrong and they're going to be right because they need to be in some power position over you. Walk away. There's so much business out there that's good business. You don't need to saddle up with somebody that's going to be um, Danny the micromanager or Bobby the bully. Like just Just walk away and find a client that's better suited for you. The third and final thing that I will say is beware, caveat emptor, beware of anything that you see that appears to be optimism porn or hopium. Like the quote that I read you a minute ago about you can grind and grind for four years with no results and then the fifth year you just explode and become, you know, famous and wealthy. Maybe, maybe not. But I would say if you've been grinding at something for four freaking years and you've had zero results, that's a major sign that something is wrong. I'm thinking of Kevin O'Leary saying, take it behind the barn and shoot it. You want to make sure that you are having benchmarks along the way, things that you can troubleshoot and say, all right, it's been X amount of time and I still haven't closed a deal or I've had 15 discovery calls and nobody's converted. I need to figure out what's going on. Something is clearly broken and I need to figure out what's broken so that I can fix it. But I just don't want to see you waste your life savings or get up to your eyeballs in credit card debt because you read some cheeseball inspo quote on LinkedIn. It doesn't make you a failure to walk away from a business that isn't working. It doesn't make you a failure to say, I wanted to walk down this road, but there was no money in it. So I decided to take a fork in the road and go somewhere else. At, at the end of the day, you have to take care of yourself and your family and your happiness is really important. I would say that your happiness is also a very important result in the long run. You don't want to sacrifice your own health and well-being just trying to hang on to a dream that's not worth it. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it. If you haven't already, take a quick second to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review for us on iTunes. Bye for now.